Coming up, is this the Metro's strictest COVID policy? You can't come in this building without a mask, and you can't come in this building without a vaccination. We will never go back. If they move forward with this, we'll never go back. Johnson County voted against requiring masks. Now several cities going it alone. It's back to school in Missouri and the state attorney general filing suit to block students wearing masks. I don't want to live in some futuristic biomedical security state. And is this the next political divide in Kansas City? A backlash against the mayor as he opens the doors to Afghan refugees. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Borley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Nick Haint. It is great to be back to dissect the week's most impactful news stories with you. And we've got a whole lot to talk about together, trying to make sense of the most befuddling and puzzling stories of our week here in the Metro. Is Mr. Up to Date on KCURFM Steve Kresge from the Cole newspaper, Eric Wesson, from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling, and the news director of our Kansas City NPR affiliate, Lisa Rodriguez. You know, we haven't seen each other for the last two weeks as we've been in the middle of our summer fundraising drive but covid still remains the biggest story on both sides of state line don't you get the feeling right now you don't know what's going to happen next as we start the show state workers in kansas are heading for home governor laura kelly ordering them back to remote work as covid cases and hospitalizations rise also this week is this the metro's strictest covid policy the kaufman center for the performing arts has announced that if you're not vaccinated you won't be able to see any shows there in future more pointedly there will be no exceptions, even for kids under 12 who are currently not eligible for the shot. Masks must also be worn while watching performances. I mean, you can't come in this building without a mask, and you can't come in this building without a vaccination. We will never go back. If they move forward with this, we'll never go back. Quentin Lovejoy of St. Joseph says he bought more than $1,000 in Kaufman Center tickets for his family. That was before this rule was made. Whether it's government or private business, the net effect is still the othering of people in America that either have not received a vaccine or, frankly, just don't want to tell you whether they've had the vaccine. Now, even those places that have already moved forward with mask mandates and these vaccination requirements offer some exceptions, either on religious grounds or medical ones. Can you think of any place that has imposed such a strict policy in our metro, uh, Lisa Rodriguez? It's comprehensive, and I think what's especially notable is that um, in other vaccine mandates we've seen across the city, most of these venues are places that cater to adults. We've seen concert venues, we've seen bars do it, but the Kaufman uh, Center for the Performing Arts and all of these organizations really are, uh, they, they have a lot of programming specifically for children. So I think that that, um, that uh, part of the mandate that it applies to, to children under the age of 12 um, does make it one of the most comprehensive, but I'm not sure what other choice these performing arts organizations had. Are they going to, I mean, with the amount of quarantines we've already seen in schools in the first couple of weeks, are they going to welcome hundreds of kids in to see the Nutcracker sitting right next to each other in the theater? I'm not, I'm not sure that there was another option there. We see the one guy we just heard from from St. Joseph, $1,000 in tickets, will never go back to the Kaufman Center, if that's the attitude in his mind. Uh, are other people canceling their uh, subscriptions to the Kaufman Center and, and the symphony and the ballet? 
Well, I haven't heard a recent report, but I would assume there's a little bit of that going on to be sure, Nick. But to Lisa's point, I mean, the Coffin Center is taking something of a leap here, given the popularity of that Nutcracker uh, program that comes, you know, obviously every holiday season. But the Folly Theater, I should point out, took a step uh, this week, very much in line with what the Coffin Center did and, and what we're seeing on Broadway out in New York right now. Nick, it's an unmistakable trend right now across the country. Arguably, it's happening slower than you might think, but more and more venues are saying you've got to be vaccinated to get in here. The trend is clear. The question is, how quickly is it going to pick up? We just heard from the gentleman there talking about the othering that's taking place in America. And I saw a New York Times story, Eric Wesson, this week, in fact, talking about 70% uh, of black New Yorkers under the age of 44 have not received the vaccination. So you go look at seven in 10 uh, younger African-Americans who will not be allowed to go to a, a concert or a movie theater or a gym or a restaurant. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, ultimately develops. I think several weeks ago, they had a rap concert here in Kansas City with Gucci Man, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> but he, I think they said that they gave eight people vaccinations and one of the incentives was you could be eligible to come in and get a backstage pass to go take pictures with him and hang out with him. But they only had eight people out of probably about 7,000 people that were wow. at that concert. So, uh, you know, there's still a gap in getting the importance of taking the vaccine in the African-American communities and getting that message across to where people actually go out and do it. Uh, are we seeing, though, any other institutions? It's interesting, uh, major universities, by and large, are not requiring the vaccine. Are we seeing evidence of others now moving forward beyond um, these smaller restaurants and some of these arts venues? Well, not yet, but clearly that's coming, as uh, my colleague Steve Kraske suggests. As a matter of fact, Nick, the next big hurdle is what private businesses will do. But I think the approval this week by the Food and Drug Administration of the uh, Pfizer vaccine, for the full approval of that vaccine, really changes this equation. And so we'll need to watch over the next several weeks to see if this broadens out into other places. Will it prompt some of our big sports venues to reverse course? What about the Chiefs as they start a new season? Did you see that the Las Vegas Raiders have just announced that they will require the jab in order to attend games? And the New Orleans Saints say they're also requiring fans to be vaccinated or show proof of a negative COVID test if they want to set foot in the stadium. Is that going to put a squeeze on the Chiefs to follow suit, Steve? All the experts I've had on Up to Date, uh, the show that I do at KCUR, has been very clear, Nick, that they think that come mid-September, which is exactly when the Chiefs' home opener is against the Cleveland Browns, we're going to see a big uptick because of just what we're talking about here, kids in schools uh, unable to get vaccinated, what we're going to see at the university level. There's going to be a rise in numbers. And what is that going to mean for major employers and major attractions like the Chiefs? They're traditionally a little slow to come to this place, Nick, in terms of requiring vac vaccinations. We'll have to see what happens in September. They were saying that at outdoor venue sporting events, there's not that's not a spreader. And I know everybody's waiting to see what happened after the Garth Brooks concert. And some people are claiming that wasn't a super spreader as, as well. And I don't know whether they're just setting the stage to say, hey, if these outdoor venues are safe, people don't have to wear a mask and this and that. But I think they're kind of kind of confusing with how they're presenting that and rolling that matter out. 
Are we also creating a false sense of security, Lisa? I see all of these news stories now. For 25 bucks, you can get a fake ID card. You can also, for a little bit more, get a, a you know a negative uh, COVID test. I'm sure that people have have created fake vaccine cards. I'm not sure it's widespread enough to be a major concern here. And in my own experience, um, you know, at KCUR, people who are a large portion of people who aren't getting vaccinated are proudly not getting vaccinated. They're vocal about not getting vaccinated. I don't think it's that they want want people to think that they're vaccinated when they're not. And I want to, before we move on from, um, from this topic, I just want to mention that these decisions, especially that concert venues and performing arts organizations are making, really speak to what a brutal year it was when they did not have any in-person performances. So much though that requiring vaccines is more palatable despite the pushback that they're going to get from people than going another season with uh, of virtual performances or of just shutting down concert venues altogether. It was back to school week on the Missouri side of our state line and every major school district ended up reversing course and requiring masks. It was also back to campus for thousands of our area college students, all of the major universities also requiring masks. Steve Kraske, you were back at class this week just because you say students have to wear them, did they? You know, they are, Nick, and I'm telling you, not exaggerating a, a bit, 100% compliance in the two classes that I've had so, so far this new school year. They, they know full well that if this thing takes off, if COVID spreads here on campus, we're going to go back to Zoom. And everybody that I talk to, at least, wants to be back in person. So there's a fairly strong incentive to keep this thing going and to stay masked up as we get into this school year. Could these mask mandates, though, be short-lived? Hold the front page. The Missouri Attorney General has filed a lawsuit to block mask mandates issued by public school districts. There's been no widespread, widespread study to support the forced masking of our kids. And I don't want to live in some futuristic biomedical security state. This is Eric Schmidt, the man who also filed suit against Kansas City and Jackson County over their mask policies. So what are the courts doing here? So often we hear of judges issuing immediate injunctions that prevent laws from going into effect until they can be fully aired out legally in court. Why isn't that happening on mask mandates, Dave Helling? Well, because at least in the cases that uh, Eric Schmidt is involved in, other than in St. Louis, which is a different issue, uh, he has not sought immediate uh, injunctions injunctive relief uh, against mask mandates or other regulatory decisions by local governments, why? which just means that it's going to go to trial later, maybe Why, why know, didn't he October. do that? I don't know. I wrote a column this week that suggests he is, you know, the lack of an immediate uh, demand for satisfaction suggests there's a political motive involved in this. I want to underscore that point really clearly here, Nick. Let's be just straight level honest about what's going on here. Eric Schmidt, the attorney general of Missouri, is running in a very crowded field for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. He wants to take Roy Blunt's place. It's a tough race. It's very competitive. These kinds of stories where he's standing up against mask mandates plays very well within uh, the conservative voter community. Those folks turn up at primary election time next August. I'm not saying he doesn't believe what he's pushing here, but to say there's no political motivation behind what Eric Schmidt's doing, and the same story over in Kansas with Derek Schmidt, two similar stories, 
politics are definitely playing a role here. But Eric uh, Wesson, the attorney general, says this really doesn't meet the facts. Uh, for instance, he contends zero children under the age of 10 have died from COVID-19, and children make up, quote, less than one out of every 100,000 people who are hospitalized uh, in Missouri. Tell that to the people who work at Children's Mercy Hospital, and I guess we'd have to wait for somebody to get sick or die before he says, oh, well, there's a problem. Why not do something to prevent it? You know, and where my kids go to school last year before they shut the school down, the food service workers were coming in and they were testing positive. So that led to a situation where it was spread to the kids, the kids take it on. But you hinted at it earlier, Lisa, because we had, for instance, in the Shawnee Mission School District, even with masks, tons of kids now in quarantine, a lot of children and adult staffers with um, COVID, even though they have masks, similarly in the Kansas City, Kansas School District. But imagine if there were no masks in there. I, I think I have yet to see a school district in the metro area see this lawsuit filed by the attorney general and, and change course on masks. Even, even in the part of the state where, where Governor Mike Parson comes from, schools have remained, have kept their mask mandates despite these lawsuits going on. This is, you know, they're already seeing mask quarantines and I think the situation would be even worse. I'm not sure that in school, uh, in-person school would be an option um, were there no masks in these schools? Steve. Nick, I'm still on my high horse here. Just to point out that other people use classrooms besides young children. Teachers who are sometimes elderly use them. Teachers' aides use them. Janitors are in there. Administrators are in there. Sometimes parents are in there, Nick. This is not just a simple matter of kids. There's other lives on the, on the line here. Now, over in Kansas, Johnson County voted against requiring masks in indoor places, but that isn't stopping some cities from going it alone. And if your plans take you to Prairie Village today, make sure to grab a mask. The city's mandate begins today. Roland Park has become the second city in Johnson County to adopt a mask mandate. The order covers everyone over the age of five. The penalty for not wearing one would be an unclassified violation and a fine not more than $25. Now, of course, a lot of these Johnson County cities are all clustered right next to each other. So, Lisa, you could literally be in one store on one side of the street and head to a bar or restaurant on the other and be forced to cover up? Yes, but I think, I think that that is no, no different from any laws in any city in, in Johnson County or even going crossing from Kansas and Missouri side of the state line. There are different jurisdictions and different laws and different policies in effect. Um, and it's important to note that you know, Roland Park and, and Prairie Village have, have implemented mask mandates. Johnson County is, is large and has a higher vaccination rate than the Missouri side of the state line. So there, I mean, the situation is, is complicated. There are different things to consider depending on where you are in this metro. But yeah, this is a, something that we have to deal with in our daily lives now. Where, where do I need a mask? Where do I not need a mask? Do I have my vaccine card on me? This is a part of our normal lives now, and it's it's not fun, but it's 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 necessary. Are we seeing dust-ups in Prairie Village or Roland Park this week, Steve Kraske, with the police being called in, arresting people for not wearing masks? No, I'm not aware of that yet, Nick, but, uh, you know, I think the idea here is to get the word out and get people thinking about this going forward. How about in Kansas City, Missouri, which is now a few weeks into and just extended this week its mask mandate, Eric? I haven't heard of any cases where people have gotten arrested. Uh, there is still some pushback. 
but a lot of stores mandate that customers come in and they have a mask. And I've only seen like one argument between somebody saying, well, this is state, the, the city doesn't require it, but the store owners and the stores do. So I, I've seen more of that than I have people not wearing a mask. I don't want to finish our conversation about masks without bringing up the continuing concerns we hear about from our own viewers. Dan watches us from Johnson County. He writes to the officer, worker and professional class, mask mandates are a silly inconvenience because they're generally allowed to work at their own desk without the mask. They simply need to play along by putting it on as they walk out of the building to drive back home. It's not a silly convenience for us in the retail sector who have to wear them every minute of the day. Folks like Helling and Lucas need to get their heads more properly aligned. And Nick, I'm still not convinced that Dave's head screwed on straight. I just want to clarify that as we go <laughs> forward here. This week, Kansas City hit a grim milestone. We just surpassed 100 murders in the city. It actually didn't get a huge amount of attention this week. Is that because it's actually an improvement on last year when 128 lives had been lost at this time last year? Or is it because we've resigned ourselves, Eric Wesson, to the fact that there's very little we can actually do about it? I think people have resigned themselves to it's just business as usual. Uh, there's no sensationalism. Uh, in it anymore where people get shocked. It's kind of like the norm. And as of the recording of this show, we're at 101. And a lot of people now, they don't even mention the people's names or anything. So I think we've, we've just become numb to it. Do you have another explanation, Steve? You know, I don't, Nick. I, I think, uh, you know, COVID has certainly surpassed uh, uh, the homicide count in Kansas City as the story of our times. You know, what more can we say that we haven't said so many times here? It's a big concern. There is no end in sight. There are no easy solutions to this problem. The investment that's required, uh, jobs, programs, education, you know, you go down the list, it's a major investment that we haven't quite gotten our arms around yet. And uh, meantime, the, the count continues, Nick. Not just COVID, but even the, the defunding of the police argument, Dave Helling, seemed to get a lot more attention. The actual raw numbers of murders, triple-digit murders in Kansas City. But that was actually three months ago I was just checking my notes when that first blew up. Did it go away? Did the, uh, a solution finally find itself with the mayor and the, the police over that oh. issue? Oh, no, no, no. That uh, the, the legal process continues. As you know, the police board is suing the city of Kansas City. And I believe a hearing is set for sometime in early September. Right. And we'll get a decision and, and appeals. But, Nick, I would say this. The slight decline in homicides in Kansas City maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off of this argument about the police department had, had and Rick Smith had that number been increasing then I think the calls for his resignation would be accelerating and they're not doing so don't forget Mayor Quentin Lucas began his administration by saying his goal was to have a year under a under 100 homicides he wanted his administration judged on that basis and here we are and the mayor, though, still has some time, though, before he has to, to seek votes for re-election, though, Lisa. There is time before that next election, but look at the moment we're in in Kansas City right now. There is so much that could happen before then. You know, this may be a decrease in in homicides, uh, you know, over last year. But truly, every life lost to homicide, just like every life lost to COVID, is is preventable. And this is it's it's a tragic landmark either way.
Afghanistan and the chaotic U.S. withdrawal is dominating the political news pages, but are we prepared for the next big political fight over accepting tens of thousands of Afghan refugees? Kansas City Congressman Emanuel Cleaver says his office has already worked to resettle an Afghan translator in Missouri. The mayor of St. Louis says her city is ready to welcome at least 1,000 refugees, and Mayor Lucas says he wants to open up Kansas City's doors to displaced Afghans. But Lucas is already facing pushback. Scores of online commenters claim the move would only worsen the city's affordable housing crisis. Others expressed health concerns over COVID-19 and security fears. While Mayor Lucas wants to send a welcoming message, does the mayor actually have any role to play in who comes here and how many, Steve? Not really. You know, uh, other organizations from the State Department on down, we just talked about this on the show yesterday, Nick, uh, other organizations have a lot to say about what happens here. A mayor can't stop these refugees from coming in. In fact, the city has already accepted dozens of these refugees in recent months and years, and that number is only going to continue as we move ahead. Jewish Vocational Services, Della Lamb, those organizations are set up to deal with situations like this. It's a separate deal from the homeless population in our town. Those two shouldn't be conflated too much here, although they are obviously related. But we are set up to deal with these folks through these organizations, and we can anticipate some of them coming. If the mayor faced a lot of pushback over the police funding issue, what kind of, uh, of a political divide does this cause in the city, Eric? Uh, when you have a houseless problem that you have here already, and then you're going to put some more people on top of that, uh, it would be just, it would be political suicide. It, it sounds good, you know, to have a sound bite <laughs> saying that we're welcoming people to do this, and it sounds good, and it but it just would be a disaster for him if those people came in and you don't have the resources for the people that are already here. Let's read some of that online chatter for a moment. This is from Greg. So you complain about not having homes for the homeless. He's talking about Mayor Lucas. And now you want thousands more. Are we COVID testing each one? Background checks? What about those concerns? And does the mayor have a response to that, Lisa? I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard the mayor respond specifically to that, but certainly the lack of affordable housing in Kansas City continues to be a big issue. And, and it's something that has been one of his priorities early on where we've seen some movement here and there, but certainly not enough to truly address this. We're still having issues moving homeless camps from one location to another. We've, we've seen initiatives to build tiny homes for, for um, unhoused people kind of fizzle and stall in city council. So certainly the lack of affordable housing is a, a valid complaint. I do think that, that the welcoming of Afghan refugees is maybe is not quite so divisive as arguments over police or not. I think that as a whole, because this is a national issue and we've and we were in Afghanistan for 20 years, that there is a more of a general goodwill to these people who helped out the US government while we were there and seeing that they are relocated safely. And the reason you're here not hearing quite as much political debate is there are Republicans who are busy criticizing the president for the what's happening in Kabul and in Afghanistan. And it's very hard to do that and then turn around and say, but we don't want them here. So there is a split in the Republican Party. Some more nativist Republicans want to keep the Afghans out. But there's a sizable majority of Republicans who say, no, we, we need to welcome these folks with open arms. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't hit every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? 
Running out of space, KU Hospital says it's now turning down 45 bed requests a day. Some of those asks now coming from hospitals as far away as Mississippi and New Mexico. Missouri's new COVID liability law goes into effect this week. The last thing we need to do is punish anybody for trying to help in the middle of a crisis or pandemic. Critics say the new law rewards bad actors. Is Target finally heading downtown? A rising population in the heart of the city prompts new interest from the big box retailer. More disruption at Kansas City's Ford plant, a third shutdown this week as the computer chip shortage continues. The Prairie Village Jazz Fest canceled for a second straight year. COVID also upending events deeper into the fall. Florida Georgia Line canceling their late October concert at T-Mobile Center. 18 months after the pandemic shutdown, Kansas City's college basketball experience reopens. And the new Mahomes Playground opens this weekend at the once neglected Martin Luther King Jr. Park. All righty, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something totally different? I picked two. I picked the opening of the park, Martin Luther King Park. Uh, I, hope the, I hope they do something about the smell down there. And uh, my second one was the Kansas City Public Schools outside of the mass open without any incidents. We didn't have any stories of kids not getting picked up on the bus stop. We had no stories. It was a smooth opening. And that's the first time I remember that in quite a few years. Lisa. It's easy to get tired of hearing hospitals are full, emergency rooms are full, but I, it remains, uh, I think, a really pressing issue here. The fact that there are no beds available in Kansas City hospitals. Imagine what a, what a terrible time it would be right now for me to get in a car accident or have any other health emergency that, that takes me to an emergency room. It may seem, if you're feeling well and vaccinated, it may seem abstract to hear full hospitals, but I think that story. has real effects on people's lives. Steve Kraske. Hey, I agree with Lisa Rodriguez on KU Hospital, but I'll just point to the Target's interest in downtown Kansas City. I've been to the Target in downtown Portland going shopping with my son a couple of months ago. It'll be a game changer for downtown residents if that box store shows up down there. Dave Helling. Yeah, the most important story we missed was in Pitch Magazine, which uh, wrote a long valentine to one Stephen Kraske <laughs> and his legendary status as a reporter in the city of Kansas City. And at one point, the article talks about Kraske being the last of his generation still practicing journalism. I read that with a little bit of pain in my heart, but I tip my cap to my colleague. I appreciate Alrighty. that. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed from KCUR News' Lisa Rodriguez on call from the Kansas City Call, Eric Wesson, Dave Helling from your Kansas City Star, and keeping you up to date weekdays at 9 on KCUR-FM. You can find him in the pitch, Steve Kraske. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.